break today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. WDET Sandra Soboda will present Give Me Some Truth, spotting fake news in the real world at the Troy Community Center this evening from 6 to 8 p.m. It's presented by the Troy Area Alliance Against Hate Crimes. Admission is free and child care is available on site. For more information, go to WDET.org slash events. Today, we are starting a new series at WDET that takes a deeper look at how policy issues affect people's lives. We're calling the series Policy Meets the People. And today, we are going to start by taking a look at our state's education system. On this program, we want to look at how policies created at the top with the governor, with lawmakers, and with the State Board of Education wind up affecting schools and students. A bit later in the program, we're going to talk with the former president of the State Board of Ed, John Austin. But first, we'll start here. Few people have had more behind-the-scenes influence on Michigan's education policies over the last 30 years than Richard McClellan. The Lansing-based attorney has had the ear of Governors John Angler and Rick Snyder, and he's one of the architects of Michigan's charter schools law and has worked on other policies that are central to the way schools are operated and funded in our state, including Proposal A, which brought us our current system for distributing state money to local districts. McClellan is a champion of the idea of school choice, and he reflects many of the same sensibilities of current U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. But he'll also be the first to admit that Michigan is not doing well when it comes to education. And he believes a number of the policy initiatives that he has backed over the last 30 years have been failures, including Detroit's experiment with the Education Achievement Authority. So what should come next? I want to welcome Richard McClellan to Detroit today to discuss the past, present, and future of education here in Michigan. Richard, welcome to the program. Good morning, Steve. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice. Um, let's, let's start with uh, your time in the Engler administration, which I think is really pivotal in shaping the educational landscape uh, we see today. Uh, talk about your role in creating the school choice charter system that we have today in Michigan. Uh, I was, uh, I originally got started with Governor Engler as his transition director when he was uh, surprisingly elected and beat Governor Blanchard. Um, but the charter school effort came out of the governor's um, Proposal A, which was a massive change mm -hmm. in the tax law and in the education uh, structuring. And one of the things he wanted, and interestingly, the Democrats wanted at that time was to begin to experiment with school choice and charter schools. Uh, I would say the public was interested, the schools were not. Um, nevertheless, I basically drafted Michigan's charter school law. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, my law firm, we helped to implement it. And then ultimately I, I defended it in the Supreme Court when it was upheld as charter schools are part of our system of free public elementary and secondary schools. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I can remember when this was being discussed here in Michigan. I was a young journalist uh, working on the editorial board at the Detroit Free Press when Governor Angler came to see us to talk about this idea of charter schools. Um, and he, he said two things were going to happen as a result of this. He said, number one, uh, especially in the city of Detroit, uh, we would see an expansion of the number of quality options that parents had to choose for their kids. In other words, that, that charter schools would create uh, new kinds of quality options for, for families. And then the other thing he said was that the public schools would get better as well, that the competition introduced by charter schools would force public schools to do better, in other words, to, 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 to compete to keep their kids. 24, 25 years later, it's really hard to say that either of those things has happened in large scale, right? There are some examples of, of that effect taking place, but if you're a parent in the city of Detroit, as I am, looking for ways to educate your kids, things are not universally better, and they aren't mostly better. How do you, how do you answer that assessment? Well, there was a number of things that happened uh, with the charter school law. Number one, Michigan's charter school law really isn't um, a charter school as an independent school contemplated in the original design. It is under all the same regulations and red tape that the uh, district schools are. Uh, that's one thing. Secondly, we did not address the issue of capital cost. That drove the charter schools to basically being operated by and financed by for-profit uh, education management companies. Mm -hmm. And I think that was not the design. So we've ended up with a, a moderate amount of success with some schools that are quite, there are some exceptional ones, but clearly the uh, most of the schools are pretty ordinary. And uh, the other thing that it did do for the public school districts, it did create competition. There's no doubt that um, public school districts uh, suddenly had to treat their students as customers, not inmates, um, where they, you had an assigned school, uh, the government would decide where you go to school. That probably had a lot of impact on students and families and so on. Unfortunately, it didn't have much uh, impact on performance because our schools have continued to decline in performance over that entire period, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that's always puzzled me about what we did here in Michigan, and, and like I said, I was there when Governor Angler talked about these things. I think it was uh, in, in so, at some point in 93 or 94. Uh, other states were looking at these same questions at that point, and they took different approaches to it while we sort of ignored uh, those examples. When, when you look around the country right now, say at a Massachusetts, uh, uh, more recently a Tennessee, uh, do, do you have regrets about the way in which we didn't learn from other successes? Well, the truth is we had to do it this way. The, we knew that this was a war with the teachers union and the school establishment. So the governor came up with this model that every major education institution in the state 
could charter schools, mm -hmm. state universities, community colleges, or school districts. We sort of understood that the districts would be unlikely because they didn't want to create their own competition. We didn't realize that the community colleges would be so um, bound by the school districts or the teachers' unions, and therefore the only real place we had to do it was the uh, university charter school offices. That was a that was a political decision that was made that is why we don't have uh, a say a same model that we had uh, in another state. Don't forget, we couldn't put it under the Department of Education because right. that department is not under the governor's right. uh, direct control. Yeah. Uh, but but when you look at some some place like Massachusetts, which has charter schools, uh, has choice, uh, but but also adopted those kinds of reforms along with other kinds of substantial reforms, and and what I'm thinking of here in Massachusetts in particular is the finance reforms, right? So uh, in that state now and and for a long period of time, in fact. Uh, the the funding that a full school district uh, receives is determined in part by how how concentrated poverty is in that district, and so the city of Boston, for instance, uh, receives in sheer dollars more money from the state than wealthy districts on the outside. And and the thinking there was that okay, if you're going to if you're going to in, implement this kind of choice, this kind of school choice. Thing. You also need to address the systemic inequalities that exist in places like Boston, uh, maybe uh, by analogy Detroit, uh, as a way of of leveling, uh, leveling the playing field. In other words, that that the, the kids who come to school in Detroit come with tremendous deficits that have to do with the society they live in, and the school should reflect an effort to 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 sort of address those things. Was there any talk in Michigan in 1994 about that kind of reform? Uh, there was, in, but in a different, quite a different way, not focusing entirely on urban. The whole effort of Proposal A mm -hmm. with the per-pupil allowance and, and other funding changes uh, taking a shift to state funding. Don't forget, until then, it had been local funding. That's right. Uh, largely for schools. So... Proposal A was a dramatic shift toward equity, but it was designed to bring about uh, e uh, more equivalent funding by district. It was an interesting. Uh, that was the political battle. That was the policy initiative. Uh, sure, there were people that were sitting around and saying, well, that's not good enough. We need more money for Detroit or urban areas. Mm -hmm. That is just doesn't sell politically in Michigan when... The uh, schools in the uh, more affluent areas don't think they're getting enough uh, money. So uh, that's a, that, is, that is one of the distinctions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there are others between Massachusetts. I, I would rather have people think about how we, what we can make, how we can make Michigan's system better, and it's probably not going to be copying some other state. Mm. We, we have to make it in terms of our culture, our finances, and we could do a much better job. 
but it may or may not include parts of Massachusetts. Right. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Richard McClellan, an attorney who's had a 40-year career influencing public policy here in Michigan, especially as it pertains to public education. Let's talk then about Michigan and, and what's going on here now and what you think uh, we ought to tweak or change or, or, or throw out. Um, overall, you, you don't believe we're doing a good job here in Michigan, and you're not alone in that assessment. I think most people would say we, we could do much better. But, but, but quickly go down the list of a, a few things that you think we've either missed the opportunity to fix or that we haven't thought through yet to get to some sort of new space of, uh, of reform and change. I think the biggest unmet need right now is the quality of teacher education mm-hmm. and uh, trying to create our uh, public school teachers as really professionals. I think I think it's a, they are a major part they don't uh, of whether schools succeed. And I think that we can say that's probably one large area of unmet need and hopefully uh, the political leadership and the the st- school leadership uh, can do address that in the years ahead. Yeah. Other and just throwing more money at it. I mean, there's so many studies that say if you just dump more money into schools, you will not improve them. We have some other problems. We have cultural problems, economic problems that are affect the schools but not are direct, can't be fixed by fixing the schools. You know, I, I want to sort of explore that that thought for a minute, um, and I, I think we this is where we get bogged down in maybe some rhetorical semantics here in the state of Michigan, I guess. So I don't think anyone would argue that simply throwing money at a problem is the way to get to solutions. I mean, I, I think most people, left, right, center, would say, okay, that's not a good idea. At the same time, can can you name any system around the country that you think is performing well that doesn't commensurately spend much more money than we do in the state of Michigan? Isn't money absolutely part of the equation? Well, we have the highest paid teachers in the country, and we, uh, I think we do a pretty good job com- compared to other states. So I'm not sure that I agree uh, on the funding. I don't, I'm no expert on school finance, but I do know that there is a, there's an insatiable need uh, among the teachers unions. They want more money, and they don't want to change anything. Uh, they just they you want— that, Do you think that's a fair assessment of their position, that they don't want I, to change I, anything? I, I, I don't think they want to change the things that need to be changed. Uh, I don't know enough about it, but it, it troubles me after all the years I've been involved. The teachers' union represents teachers and their jobs. It doesn't represent education. And I say that having been the former lobbyist for the police union. We were very made very clear when I represented them. We represent policemen and the union. We are not a crime-fighting organization. The union is not. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that you, see, you will see the same thing among the teachers' union. Uh, they talk politically like they care about the performance, but they really mostly care about their, 
their membership, and that, I'm not saying that's wrong. That's their job. Um, so, but, but aren't those? Two I things... certainly wish we had ways to fix the schools and yeah. more money, more money, better spent is clearly uh, probably called for. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think. I mean, I think that's an unfair assessment of, of, of the teachers union. I think, actually, people go into teaching because they care about outcomes. I mean, there's no reason to do it uh, other than that you love kids and you love uh, teaching. Uh, and I think I, I hear what you're saying in terms of the institutional interests of the union itself. But if you think of the things that, that uh, teachers have accepted uh, in this state for a very long time, the changes that they have accepted – uh, the, the the demands on them that have changed that they uh, have accepted uh, the idea that they are the enemy here or as you said earlier in the interview that there is a need for a war uh, against uh, the teachers union and teachers did I say that yeah earlier in the conversation you referred to this the the, the charter the the attempt to get charter legislation passed that you knew that this, this would be a war with the with the teachers union, um, well, 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 it certainly was. I mean, yeah. it, it, the teachers but, union fought that. In that case, it was. Yeah, but isn't that, I don't is, say it is all the time. Okay, okay, but isn't that part of the problem here? Is that that we're, we're not supporting teachers terribly well in, in the state of Michigan? You, you say we pay them uh, among the highest in, in the country. That's true by some measures, but of course, a lot of that is is tied up in retirement uh, benefits and not salary, uh, and so. You know, you have teachers in the city of Detroit making uh, very little money uh, for what I consider a really tough job. But but this idea that that uh, this is an adversarial conversation, I think that it strikes me as part of the problem. And and I you know I've heard that same kind of narrative from Governor Engler. I've heard that same kind of narrative, maybe to a lesser extent, from Governor Snyder. Uh, it, it it seems like that uh, is also politically motivated and not in the interest of schools or children. I think it, I think you're right. There's a lot of ideology in, in some of the policies that uh, uh, some of us have pr proposed. Similarly, there's quite a lot of ideology on the other side. And I, I asked one time, I, I asked a couple years ago, I said, is there any chance when we get a new governor that we will be able to come together with the sort of school administrators and the teachers union and those and other other people, and I was told by somebody on the inside, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so mean, it's, I, a, I, it's a very tough conversation to have. There's no question, and it, it, it has confounded us for a really long time in this state. It's I mean, it, it's frustrating because, as I said, you watch other states move ahead of us. You don't watch other states leapfrog us, and you wonder, what are we doing wrong? Well, it, it, sometimes it can happen. I remember um, Al Short was the MEA lobbyist, and he showed up in my office one day, and I said, no, that can't be um, Al Short. He's, <laughs> he and I fight over everything. <laughs> Turned out he wanted to hire me to draft a, a, a proposal f to raise taxes for schools, which I did. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my view was that that could be one element, and I was surprised they asked me. They just asked me because I knew how to draft, not because they I would vote for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there, there haven't been. There have been. Uh, I, I regret the sort of uh, attitudes that seem to 
uh, go around there. But uh, at some point, you have to say, what what do the schools and what do the teachers say mm-hmm. that, that is the excuse for the continuing decline of school performance? What, what is their answer other than give us more money? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a fair question. I would, I think they would, they would probably point to a couple other things, and like I was saying, in terms of support and training, things like that. But, but I, you know, I think it is a conversation where both sides seem to be missing much of what the other side is is talking about or believes. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation with attorney Richard McClellan, who has had more behind-the-scenes influence over Michigan education policy over the last 30 years than almost anyone else. Also, don't forget, if you miss out on any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out altogether. Go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking with Lansing attorney Richard McClellan. He's not an elected official, but he's had as much or more influence over education policy in Michigan over the last 30 years than just about anyone else working behind the scenes. He served as a close advisor to Governor John Engler on many policy issues, including education. He's an architect of Michigan's controversial charter schools law, and he helped implement Proposal A, which overhauled the way we fund schools here in Michigan. He's also served as an education advisor to Governor Rick Snyder, working on such issues as emergency managers for struggling school districts, as well as Detroit's failed experiment with the Education Achievement Authority. We want to hear from you. How do you feel about the direction of our schools here in Michigan over the last 30 years? What do you think is working? What do you think is not working with education in Michigan? And what should change? Coming up later in the show, we're going to talk with the former State Board of Education president, John Austin, someone who has served as a counterweight to Richard McClellan's policy goals over many years here in Michigan. Richard, talk about the role of democracy in public schooling. Of course, that that uh, I think is another sort of driver in the conversation. It's a, it's an issue that has pretty deep roots here in the state of Michigan, and yet it seems to be at odds with uh, with the agendas of governors like John Angler or Rick Snyder. And uh, I can give you just a few examples. I mean, I think the 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 push for charter schools in some ways was. Uh, a pushback against the idea of democratic voice uh, in 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 public schooling. Certainly, uh, the use of emergency managers under uh, Rick Snyder and the extensive use of uh, emergency managers in school districts is another uh, another tool that seems to question the value of that democratic voice. I wonder what you make of the importance of that democracy, the, the dynamic in, in public schooling, and whether you think that's integral to the idea of, of public schools. Well, the, the idea of public schools as being a public function has been around for a long, long time, and it's deeply ingrained in the, in, in the people of Michigan. Mm-hmm. I, have, I used to always support school taxes. 
Um, most people believe in their local school district. Um, and and uh, the state role used to be somewhat limited, but it has changed because the people voted for it in some respects. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily agree with you uh, on your assessment of the governor or either governor, but to a certain degree, if you really looked at what happened, you've shifted toward state funding rather than local funding. Mm -hmm. Well, that's still under a democratic system. We have to vote for our legislators and our taxes, but we don't have as much local involvement. Yeah. Then we have all of this regulation of certification of teachers. Uh, they are heavily regulated by the state and by the federal government too, because they give you some money. So the idea of some community schools, I mean, the governor, Engler, at least, he thought that charter schools would be uh, blossom uh, around the state as people and teachers got together and created charter schools. Mm -hmm. It didn't turn out that way, but that was clearly uh, his his view at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't necessarily agree that uh, democracy is not part of it. We elect our school boards. Um, yes, when they completely fail, the taxpayers um, have insisted that there be some uh, – stepping in to, to do it. And the problem is it's been limited to relatively few school districts uh, and cities that uh, have had to have emergency managers. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else you would do. Uh, if you don't, you got to make some effort to fix it. Yeah. And we did. And, and I think in some respects, the emergency managers worked. And in some cases they did not. Um, Can you think of a school district that you would think is an example of emergency management working? I have a hard time coming up with one. I think we abolished a couple of districts. Um, and, uh, and, that, and that, in your mind, is a success? Well, it can be a success if it's replaced with a either merged into another district or replaced with a new, uh, new district. Um, no, I, 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 I can't. I'm not going to try to say the emergency manager... Law. I was not particularly involved in that, and mm -hmm. I wasn't opposed to it because I said, you have to come up with something. Other states are doing it. I think New Jersey had a lot of them. But probably the one, one underlying problem for a lot of those people was the pension funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that's driving a lot clearly, of the insolvency, right. Yeah. There are a lot of people that got, got away from a lot of local districts they were elected by the people, the school boards, and the and the representatives of the teachers, and they I I, I they don't know why they just continued to jack up the benefits mm -hmm. and not put the money in there, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was under under a completely a democratic system. Right, and and I guess maybe maybe listening to you talk about this, uh, a better way to to sort of define what I'm talking about here is, I guess, the the move away from local or hyper-local control and toward these bigger authorities. There are a lot of people who are very uncomfortable with that idea. Uh, they're also uncomfortable with the way in which those decisions get made. I mean, there's no secret about the fact that it's that it's impoverished, uh, mostly majority-minority districts that find themselves... Uh, in these circumstances, and it, it, it raises these questions about 
local government, uh, local governance and democracy that I think I'm, I'm just curious about how that looks from, from the other side. Well, I think that we, we have a state system and therefore each school district it was intended to make its own decisions mm -hmm. and, and for whatever reason in those, those municipalities where the economy was particularly bad and getting worse, the schools got bad and got worse. Um, I sure don't have an answer. If I did, I'd, <laughs> I'd uh, be making speeches about how we can fix education. I don't know how we can do it. Yeah. Uh, but I do know that, um, that it was wrong to um, uh, create pension obligations that you didn't fund. That's just wrong from the state point of view. It didn't serve anybody's interest. It right. did not serve anybody. It's, uh, yes, it did. It served those people who benefited from it either by getting reelected to school boards or the uh, teachers uh, union organization organizers that could tell their members we have this for you and they didn't tell them the truth mm -hmm. it, we this is not going to actually happen unless we get somebody else to put more money in and that's one thing Snyder has done sort of against my objection he started f funding funding that, the right. unfunded pension liabilities right um, you would and, not have uh, done that. You would have. I don't think I would have done it. I wouldn't have done it the way he did it. I mean, I was. I'm sort of committed to the uh, running the school districts through school districts and making the school people understand what the money is. But if you over, if you come in over and say, "Well, we'll just take care of this obligation," uh, that's partly because the way we our our pension funds for teachers are managed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's managed through a state fund. But the f the money is supposed to come in from the local. Originally, was supposed to come in from the local district. Yeah, yeah. It's very complicated funding mechanism. It is. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Richard McClellan, an attorney who has had a 40-year career influencing public education here in the state of Michigan. We are talking to him as part of our series called Policy Meets the People, where we are examining how elected officials shape education here. Before we wrap, I want to I wanna ask you about the next governor of the state of Michigan and uh, both the opportunity to make things better uh, and the sort of pitfalls that await uh, that, that, that person, uh, somebody who's watched and, and been involved in a consulting role, an advisory role for almost 40 years uh, with Michigan education. What's the advice you would give to the person who wins in November 2018 and becomes governor on January 1st, 2019? Uh, eliminate the State Board of Education as a separate elected body. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I would also... <laughs> which would require more a constitutional change, right? Yeah, it requires yeah. constitutional change. But if you're a brand new governor and you, you've got some... Uh, uh, that's about the time to propose that sort of thing. Plus, I would, I would address uh, in some way... Um, the uh, teacher training model that we have in our state public mm -hmm. universities. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I, I've always believed that, that there should be a class of uh, professional teachers that are paid more like lawyers than by than janitors. And um, and that's not our, our that's not our educational model for teachers, mm -hmm. nor our compensation model. 
So I think if schools are going to get better overall, third thing I'd say, be careful what you promise. I just get so tired of every one of these nonprofit groups, every politician saying we're going to solve, make all <laughs> all schools good and all teachers great and all. It, it, and nobody don't nobody at least I don't believe any of them. And I, I think a more honest new governor, whoever he or she is, could uh, could do a better job of uh, not this rhetorical stuff that's so overblown. Right. I don't expect it to happen though with not uh, with all the candidates. <laughs> I mean, some of that's politics, right? I mean, that's how. Yeah, you... it is politics, and it's going to happen. But um, but but I uh, guess I, I guess to to follow up on that. Do you not believe that we can achieve that, that that every school is good, that every family has uh, a, a good choice that's close by to the to, to home to send their kids to school? I mean, that's a pretty fundamental guarantee, I think, I think, of, of our state constitution. No, our state constitution uh, requires a system of free public elementary and secondary schools. It's been litigated. It does not require... Any any attempt to have uh, equality among well, not of equality, outcome. but it, but but I think it it presumes quality, right? It does presume that 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 free public education has a certain upholds upholds a certain standard. Do you not do you not think we can do I, that? I'm not I'm not so sure it does in terms of the constitutional language, yeah. but I think the public wants it. Mm -hmm. I think the public has been. Very supportive of public education all all along, mm -hmm. from the earliest days of the state, and we have the the general public, the taxpaying public, have supported public schools, um, and they have rejected three times by broader margins mm -hmm. any kind of voucher yes. proposal. Yes, and, uh, and I don't so see that, that change. Right. So I mean that 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 sort of says that that as a people. Here in Michigan, we believe that that there ought to be quality public school choices for everyone. Do you do you feel like we can't deliver on that? It's going to be very very hard to deliver on every because here's the problem: not that that shouldn't be a goal, mm -hmm. but what that drives is everything is going to be every proposal has to be a system wide proposal. It has to be bureaucratically driven from the top. It has to say, set these standards, common core, whatever whatever they are. And it really is uh, contrary to the idea that each community may have its own definition of success. Mm -hmm. So I think there is some conflict there between the, the idea of uniformly high quality mm -hmm. and imposing with the limits on what government decisions can be a single model on the state other than your suggestion and the other suggestion we have to give more money to um, communities that are of lower mm -hmm. economic performance mm -hmm. it's a tough job and i'm i hope the new governor and i've talked to two of them and i uh, two of the <laughs> candidates and uh, uh, they got it that's a, one of the toughest jobs they've got yeah I think it is, too. Okay, Richard McClellan, attorney who has had a 40-year career as a lawyer, focusing on public policy and political matters, especially as they pertain to Michigan's education policy. Thank you very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. 
Up next, we're going to talk with the former president of the State Board of Education, John Austin, and get his take on the state of our schools and the future. Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay with us on the phones. Frank on the east side, Sonia in Detroit, Charles in Clinton Township. We will get to you next. Stay with us. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. John Oster is the director of the Michigan Economic Center, a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a former president of the State Board of Education. He's also a lecturer on the economy at the University of Michigan. Throughout his career, he has represented the opposing side of the education reform debate from people like John Engler, Rick Snyder, and Richard McClellan, the longtime education advisor we just heard from. So what does John Austin make of the current state of our schools, and what does he think is the path forward to something better? John Austin joins me now. Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. So uh, let's start with your sort of sense of the greatest policy strengths and weaknesses made to the education system here in in Michigan over the past few decades. Where where are we winning and where are we losing? Right. Let's let's go back. We uh, joined really the national movement for uh, reform, you know, in in 2000, even John, John Engler joined with Bill Clinton and the governors to say we need higher standards. We need greater accountability. We need more transparency. And we got that ball rolling. Uh, we, what we didn't do uh, that Massachusetts has done uh, and other states that are now blowing past us, one, we didn't match every new expectation, whether it's kids got to learn at higher levels, teachers got to perform better, uh, we need third grade reading. We didn't back it with resources mm-hmm. uh, to help them deliver. We also walked away really from kind of a level of effort in Michigan of the just the resources we put into public education. If you go back to the the investment, uh, the share of tax dollars that was put into public schools under John Engler, uh, it's declined. Whatever money we make, we're now putting less than 3.4%. We had 4%. That's billions of dollars mm-hmm. in real dollars in public education. We also didn't make the changes that other states have done that you were talking about with Richard Differential funding. We need more resources where kids have further to travel, where there's poverty, where there's greater learning needs. So the other states have put back their reform demands with capacity building. They put more money in uh, when they uh, to the system, uh, and including on teacher quality improvement, which hasn't been a priority, which we haven't delivered with help. We require professional development, but we don't help pay for it. But then, as Richard noted, you know, we joined the party too of of charter school and choice enhancement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did so in a way that, uh, you know, he was, I'm a pro-charter advocate, but other states have used choice and charters as a way to improve uh, educational outcomes. Where do we need new schools? Where do we need better quality? Our initial law, which was bitterly contested, and yes, our school districts should have seized on it and said, we want to open our new schools or rebrand the Detroit schools as charters and uh, live up to the initial promise. I mean, charters were created by Al Shanker of the American Federation of Teachers to liberate mm-hmm. educators from bureaucratic freedom. Right. But our charter law that was passed was very freebooting. It let for-profit operators be authorized to run schools. Uh, that's what was we saw the universities, some of them were eager to get in that business. 
Uh, but what Richard didn't talk about, you know, we did have a smart cap on charters under the Granholm administration for with the state time. board and a cap on cyber schools, which were new. We wanted to see if they worked. We only allowed two of them. In 2010, when this legislature, very conservative, was elected and Rick Snyder was governor, one of the first things they did is they blew the quality cap off of charter schools. They wanted unlimited ability for authorizers who were willing to basically authorize anybody to open a school. And that's what we saw happening. So hundreds of new charter schools have opened, uh, marketing to parents, particularly in Detroit and other places where people are looking for a better option. But they rejected quality uh, demands on those charters. Let's not open bad schools. Massachusetts does not allow a charter to be open right. unless it's going to provide better education. So we have hundreds more schools now with against a backdrop of 200,000 fewer K-12 students. So all these schools chasing fewer students and the money that proposal they put on their head, uh, a per-pupil allotment, uh, and so we've got this expanded marketplace, no quality control. You see what's happened in Detroit and other communities. Anybody almost could get authorized and open a storefront school that then delivers poor education. If a parent chooses it, they lose in their kids. They think it's something better. And you have the traditional public schools with 20, 30 percent fewer resources. Uh, they get in a death spiral. And the wheels have really come off since, you know, the DeVos and their allies in the legislature rejected quality choice in favor of anything goes choice. And that's dismantled our system as long as, as yeah. well as the and the outcomes for learning, which is what's horrific. You know, right. Right. kids life chances are limited. It, it, it's really remarkable how far the outcomes have fallen over say the last 10, 20 years here in Michigan. And and even more remarkable to me is, I guess, the lack of, of you know, hair on fire outrage uh, about that. I mean, it, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, effort to, to try to, again, as I was discussing with Richard McClellan, look at what other states are doing and figure out which parts of that we could do. Uh, let me ask you also, though, do you think we can turn this around? And if we can, what is it that we need to be doing or where do we even start? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I disagree with Richard. We can do this. And certainly it's an opportunity with the next governor. But they have to run in and win on a platform of how we do it. And it's A, uh, adequate level of support for our public school educators. B, it's changing our funding model, which needs to be updated from Proposal A, so that we are putting more resources where kids have further to travel to provide extra support, a differential funding model. And we've got to have a way to manage all schools for quality, uh, not let anything go as anybody open a school. I think uh, a certificate of need approach like we do in healthcare mm -hmm. that also gives the community voice again in whether somebody gets to open a school in their community, Detroit or anywhere else, so that we have a program of Say, looking at uh, our education landscape, we've got a lot of schools. And as you know, more kids in Detroit go to non-formerly DPS schools. Sure. This network of schools have been opened by others. Let's let the community uh, have voice on what schools do we need? How do we make sure they're quality? And let's shut down the ones that aren't performing and only open new ones uh, that we want need to deliver better education. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of phone calls. Uh, people want to participate in this conversation. No real surprise there. Also, uh, make a note, we are going to continue our discussion on education policy this morning after the show. Join us on Twitter at 10 a.m. to talk about what's wrong with education in Michigan and what needs to be done to fix it. Uh, follow at WDET and use the hashtag M-I-E-D, capital M, capital I, capital E-D. Uh, let's go to Frank in the Frank on the east side of Detroit. Frank, welcome to Detroit today. 
Hey, thank you. Good morning. How sure. are you? Good. How are you? And good morning to your guests as well. Uh, you know, I had to call in about this <laughs> because uh, I used to be a teacher in Detroit. And uh, I'm telling you, your, your last guest, oh, man, I've got to eat some garlic. I think he raised my blood pressure. <laughs> just a couple of things I just want to speak to. <laughs> uh-huh. I, you know, I was a teacher in Detroit for more than 10 years. And prior to that, I was a program evaluator. So I, I know something about uh how this works. Mm-hmm. If there was really any intention to improve the schools, uh, this isn't the way to do it. With, with charter schools, everybody knows that. Uh, we need to start pretending that the position that's represented by your, your, the guests that just left is legitimate. It's not. It's an excuse to privatize the school system. That's what it is. And, uh, so, you, you Frank, so Frank, now. hold on a second. I, I, I would agree with you in 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 some aspects there that that the intent probably was not to really improve schools. But if you look at other states and the way that they've used charter schools, they have improved education that way. Is it that is? I guess what I'm getting at is is the problem charter schools or is the problem the way we have used charter schools? Well, I think the problem is the idea of charter schools. If you want to fix something. Well, why not just fix what you got? Frank, why would you throw money into something else? You, Frank, you this is John. Yeah. Street, Frank, Frank, I appreciate, I, I really appreciate uh, that question. I'm going to try to get John let, Austin let me here to give you an example. Give so, an you know, the commissioner of education is a friend in Massachusetts. He came here to talk to us. And he's like, he was blown away. He said, what are you guys doing? They have a, they use charters. Only the state board can authorize them and only where the community wants one and is needed as to provide a new quality option. And it's working. Uh, you're right in that the motivations, there are some honest ideologues who believe create a marketplace of competition will improve outcomes, which doesn't work mm-hmm. in public education. But the folks who've driven our charter and choice policy, their real motive is to blow up the public school system by having it have diminished resources, non-unionized educators and charter schools, and they've succeeded so right. that they could have political wins and diminish the clout, as Richard said, of the nefarious teachers unions and unions in, in politics generally. Not has nothing to do with educational outcomes. Yeah. Uh, Frank, I, I do really appreciate uh, your your call and and the question, and I hope uh, I hope we got you a, a, a decent answer there. Let's go to Sonia in Detroit. Sonia, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Hi. Uh, thanks for answering my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just want to say if if um, if your guest and I and this and your current guest, I I hear what he's saying, and a lot of that makes sense. But if McClellan who just said a minute ago, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. If Engler doesn't know what to do and Snyder doesn't know what to do, how do we justify or how do they justify, you know, coming up and making up these laws and rejecting all this legislation um, to make up all of these rules and things against our children, mm-hmm. these poor minority children, using them as guinea pigs for things that have never been successful? It's, it's criminal. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, when will we put actual power into the hands of educators who know the real challenges of these districts yeah. that are targeted by these misguided, even malicious laws right. that only assist in making the wealthy wealthier? Right. So, yeah, Not- I, I appreciate the, the call and the, and the comments there. Do you feel, John, like it's fair to say that this was an experiment and an experiment in large part on poor minority children in the city of Detroit, that that there wasn't 
a lot of thought or research put into it that it was about things other than outcomes uh, that would be improved? Um, yeah, I, I, it, but it wasn't unfortunately really an experiment designed to, towards trying to get good outcomes. Right. It was driven by let's uh, let's take down the public education establishment uh, principally, uh, and and the the real horror of having uh, the dismantling of public education everywhere is that it's hurting most uh, the life chances and outcomes of real kids who now are going to have diminished opportunity because they didn't get the quality education that they need and and that we can deliver. I mean, as you're reporting here, Stephen. And others have said there, it's not rocket science what the agenda should be to lift all students to the highest possible learning outcomes. Yeah. Uh, we've got to put the right level of effort. We've got to strategically put it in the right places, largely with educators uh, and with kids who have the greatest needs. And then you've got to have a choice charter policy that improves learning, doesn't destroy the fisk of public education. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if we were to get a Democratic governor next time. We'd still have, I think, the, the, the Republican hold on the legislature. And more importantly, we'd have this incredible lobby, this very powerful lobby that has grown up around protecting charter schools from the oversight that I think a lot of people think they should be subject to. I, I guess that leaves me in a position of, of saying that, that it's almost not going to be possible to push back. What, what should change my mind about that? Well, I agree, actually, with Richard. Michiganders love their public schools, and they want to support public education uh, if given a chance and if it's clear what the stakes are for their elected representatives. Richard didn't say in the lame duck session of 2012, they tried to propose an even more destructive set of legislation that would let almost anybody, you or I, Stephen, could open a school. Open a school, right. And and to, to try to accelerate. We've stopped that. Uh, in spite of the DeVosses who have successfully spent money to buy legislators who are queasy, saying, we know you're anxious about destroying your neighborhood public schools, but we're going to primary you out of existence if you do. If you but in that it. instance, it was so clear, this is going to destroy public education in Michigan. Uh, Republican and Democratic legislators know their constituents are for public education and want good schools. So I'm optimistic, as always, that if we make the case right uh, and show what's at stake, Michiganders want to see better schools and they believe in local public schools. Yeah. John Austin, director of the Michigan Economic Center, non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and former president of the State Board of Education. Thanks for being here. On to My pleasure. Thank you. That's going to do it for us today. If you want to continue the conversation, stay with us on Twitter. At 10 a.m., we will be there to talk about what's wrong with education in Michigan and what needs to be done to fix it. Follow at WDET and use the hashtag MyEd, M-I-Ed. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.